Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast, breaking down politics as we know it and removing all the bullshit. (laughs) Because politics needed a (laughs) rebrand. Girl on the Gov, the podcast. Another day, another Wednesday, and yeah, we're we're back in the quote unquote booth, like what remote Zoom stations across the country. Maddie, how's it going in California? Everything's locked the hell down here. I'm just like, it's shitty, but yeah, happy Hump Day, happy Wednesday. How's the East Coast treating you? Well, as many people may know, I really don't like winter and I really don't like snow and. Tomorrow we're supposed to get like 24 inches of snow. I'm so jealous. See, that is like straight up a comment from someone that did not grow up with snow. We all want what we can't have. Like, let's be real. It's so true. So there's that. But Maddie, I did mean to say, you're going to hate me. You're going to be so mad. Oh God. I'm scared. I'm like now into TikTok. Like I can't make fun of you anymore for being like we should be on tiktok there's a part of me that's like really upset there's a part of me that's really happy and then there's a part of me that's like just my stubborn competitive self is like told you sam was so against tiktok literally just months ago i brought up you know we need to start a tiktok that's where the kids are like that's who we need to reach we need to get out there and she's like i don't think so I hated it. And I was like, just give it a chance. I promise you it will ruin your life, but also like make these quarantine days especially much better. Honestly, as sad as it is, sometimes TikTok is like the highlight of my day these days. It really is. Well, see, okay. I think misconception situation, the way that I was like introduced to TikTok or like knew of it, thought of it and whatever was very much like just a viral dance trend app that's what I thought it was too yeah right and I was like okay like that's great but like I just don't understand the entertainment value of that I understand why certain people would be entertained by that totally like value and everything but I was like that's just not my vibe so I was like okay no thanks but then I was sent one too many like funny videos on what's in the COVID vaccine. And then from there, it just spiraled because I just started doing, because like I don't even have my own account. Yeah, you need your algorithm tailored to you. It's life-changing. TikTok algorithm is said to be like the strongest, most just 
insane algorithm that there is on any social media platform, which is scary, but also as a consumer, like you got to love it. (laughs) That is terrifying. Except for then sometimes I'm like, what on earth? Some of the ones that I get is like the page six edition of TikTok, which is like definitely how I consume TV. I'm definitely like a Bravo, a like E! News. That's definitely trash. Right? It makes sense. I'm like, okay, cool, 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 cool. But then one of my best friends, she's like, I don't know what I did. Literally the two feeds that she gets, it's witches. She gets literally fed like witch shit. I'm not even kidding you. I get the psychic stuff, which I honestly like. Sometimes I really think I'm like, wow, this psychic knows me. Like this tarot card reading applies to my life. They're like the love of your life is coming like soon. Just open up, be ready for the love of your life. I'm like, okay, I'm ready. Literally it's been like a month, two months, three months. Where is he? Where is he? So we definitely need to do a like yearly recap before New Year's and just break down like the fucking crazy year that is 2020. It's literally, it's almost over. That's so insane. It's crazy. But no, what's also crazy to me is everyone keeps being like, 2021, things are going to be so different. And I'm like, guys, the ball doesn't drop at midnight and everything changes and goes back to normal. Like it's a freaking Cinderella movie. I get what you're saying. And I thought the same thing a few months ago. I was like, okay. We're going to be in this shit for some time, like 100%. But now that we're getting vaccines and vaccines are coming in and truckloads and Biden just won and all this shit, it's getting better. Some really like great things have happened at the end of this year. And it just makes you think right when 2020 hit, it was, okay, massive fires in Australia. Kobe died. Corona. All this crazy shit happened right when 2020 started. And then now it's slowly getting better as 2020 is over. I'm sorry. That shit's a little crazy. Yeah. Now I'm actually starting to think, honestly, in a few months, there's going to be at least an idea of when things will be back to normal because like we've just been in the dark for so long. I really feel like 2021 is going to be definitely not completely back to normal, but it's going to be clearer as to what and when we will be back to normal. That I like definitely agree with. Yeah, no, I don't think it's like ball drop. The world is healed, but I think the world is healing. You know? It's having a moment. It went to its therapist and... Normalized therapy. Exactly. Even even Mother Earth, she attends regularly. I think things are looking up. The one thing that might make 2021 a shitstorm is like the potential for like an alien invasion. <laughs> because I don't know if you've seen this like monolith situation popping up all over the globe, but like that shit's weird. What? Who? And... I don't know if like people just I feel like aren't talking about that enough. The fact that that's not, you know, on the 24 hour news cycle on CNN being talked about who's doing this or investigated in any way. You're so right. That's like not something we're talking about enough. But I feel like that's what's so crazy. Our news cycle is that nuts. Normally, that would be like freaking front page. They'd be like, the monolith. Oh, my God. And everyone's like, ah, OK, whatever. But should we tell everyone about our show today? We shall. We shall a topic that we didn't even know enough about and I I know that most people don't know enough about weren't taught enough about and that is women's suffrage and how this year 2020 is the 100 year anniversary of women's suffrage which is just crazy I think we've talked about this multiple times on and multiple episodes how that anniversary is on this year with how big this election was so We have two amazing guests, actually. This is our first time having two guests on. 
Lynn and Ellen from She Votes podcast by Wonder Media Network. Their podcast is about women's suffrage and it tells the story of how women's suffrage in the 19th Amendment came to be. Unfortunately, our curriculum is trash and we are not really taught about the long fight for women's right to vote. So here is Lynn and Ellen to tell us all about the She Votes podcast and the 19th Amendment. Well, about a year ago, I was thinking about how 2020 was the year of the 100th anniversary of suffrage and a year in which the women's vote was going to be very critical. And I thought, what a great opportunity to put those things together and for Lynn and I to talk about uh, the suffrage amendment and our the second wave feminism and what was going on today. And we put all those together and came up with She Votes. And Lynn insisted on an exclamation point. <laughs> the exclamation point is necessary. Well, there, I, you know, I've been writing about, both Ellen and I have been reporting on and part of the women's movement for a lot of years. And it was it was in the beginning when I started being a serious journalist and covering what was then the set called the second wave of the women's movement back in the late 60s, early 70s, that I learned for the first time, really, the real meaning of our suffrage foremothers. I have a very vague recollection, but a clear, the image is clear that in my about eighth grade social studies class, there was one sentence in the book that said something like, and then a bunch of crazy ladies and bloomers ran around to get the right to vote. And, and that's all we were taught. And then here I am, a young woman in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, and Ellen Parallel was at the Boston Globe. I was at the Associated Press. And we started covering the modern women's movement and started learning about the original women's movement, started learning about Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Sojourner Truth and Mary Church Terrell and all these extraordinary women. And it was a great revelation to me. And I developed a huge respect for them. And and so all of my reporting certainly had that in the back of my mind. And then when Ellen came up with this idea, it was just perfect. It was a perfect way for us to celebrate the suffrage centennial this year, 2020, to talk about our foremothers and also to talk about everything we covered back in the 70s. And also to talk about this election. So, you know, because in a sense, we started our podcast by talking about the original voter suppression and the original way in which women were not allowed to vote. And also, I think the interesting thing is I didn't learn in I was a history major, if you can believe it. I never had a woman professor, never learned anything about women's history. But, it, you know, it's just it's just interesting to think about how we learned absolutely nothing about suffrage. And I think to a certain extent, what Lynn said that people learn kind of a little bit now, they still don't learn as much as you might think. And they learn this, this phrase that drives me crazy. They say, and then women were given the right to vote. Well, they were not given the right to vote. They pushed. The subtitle of our podcast is She Votes, Our Battle for the Ballot. And it was a battle. I'm actually curious what 
you all learned about the suffrage movement? Pretty much nothing, to be honest. I was just about to say that. I don't, yeah, I don't remember much. I mean, I took AP history. I was a government major and I honestly don't recall a single moment of learning that happened in the classroom, like anything on the topic, I definitely learned outside of it. Maybe there was a moment in which it was like we were going through amendments and we checked it off a list, but I can't say that it was like, oh yeah, like we're preparing for this test or there's this project you're going to do and it's going to be about like women fighting for the right to vote. Like I definitely had none of that. No sort of regular high school history book or in college, certainly you would have more of an opportunity, but no general history book gives the subtlety and gives the shades of gray that were involved in this. This was not, okay, we want the right to vote. Boom, let's get the right to vote. There were so many ups and downs. There were so much, there were so many nuances to it. And, and that's the story we wanted to tell. Yeah, it's incredible. Because the, the thing that struck us, even as we were going back over and learning more than we had known before, was the astounding persistence of these women. Over 70 years, to, you know, to keep on trucking and get the right to vote. And also, I think the other thing that was so great, because if anybody knew anything about suffrage, they knew, you know, Susan B. Anthony. And over the last many years, we have learned so much more, particularly about African-American women who were suffragists, but about many other many other parts of the struggle and many other people involved. Absolutely. I think it needs to be told more and more. And it's funny that you guys really harp on the fact that there was like such a lack of education and we're, you know, continuing to sort of have that. But we really talk about this on almost every episode where we're like, where was that civics class? Where was this background? Where was this history? Where is this? And it really leads us to think, okay, well, if that's not a reason for more women to get elected and to run for office, then I don't know what it is because we're our own best storytellers. So we have to continue to, you know, self-advocate and make sure that our our stories get told. Yeah, but let's start first with kind of getting to know the 19th Amendment. So first, what is the 19th Amendment? The 19th Amendment extended to women the right to vote. It's not that every woman was able to vote at that moment, but it extended the general right to vote and doubled the number of voters in the country in one fell swoop. Except that, read the language of the 19th Amendment. It doesn't say women have the right to vote. What it says is that states may not deny the right to vote on the basis of sex. It's, it was modeled after the 13th Amendment, 14th and 15th Amendments, which did the same for African-American men. This, in the convoluted wording of our four, and those are our fathers, not our four mothers who wanted a very different amendment. That's what it said. And that's why we wound up in so much trouble with it. In other words, the federal government said states can't deny it, but then the states figured out a way around and they denied it anyway, in many places, particularly in the South, to women of color. So it's convoluted wording, but, but the important thing is the 19th Amendment at least was a step forward in giving women the right to vote. For our next stupid question, can you define who is Susan B. Anthony? Obviously, we hear about her a lot, but who actually is she? Yeah, I've written, I've written uh, more than one, essentially more than one book about Susan B. Uh, Susan B. Anthony, in the immortal words of, of Gertrude Stein and others, was the mother of us all. Susan B. Anthony, she didn't get there first. She was not at Seneca Falls, the 1848 convention that first demanded the right to vote for women, very boldly. She was not the only one. 
but but over the course of her lifetime, she was the most devoted, the best leader, and the best known woman, not only in this country, but probably around the world, who fought for women's rights. And she did it, she wound up focusing just on the right to vote, but her platform was much broader. She cared a lot about equal rights for women across the board, women of color, women not of color. She fought for, she started out in life as an abolitionist, fighting against to abolish the horrible practice of enslaving people. And she was a reformer. She called herself a reformer. She wanted a better world. And I am here to tell you that she should have been our first female president. Well, you mentioned Seneca Falls. So what was the Seneca Falls Convention and why was it so famous? Well, the, in, in 1848, Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Lucretia Mott, who had met years earlier at an abolition conference in London, where they had not been allowed to sit, literally, with the other delegates. And that had infuriated them and sort of lit the fire that said, you know. And just let me interrupt for one second. Elizabeth was a young housewife, uh, mother of many children. She would have, I believe, a total of seven, uh, lived in Seneca Falls, upstate New York. Lucretia Mott was uh, a generation, almost a generation older, a very famous Quaker abolitionist and reformer in Philadelphia. Right. Thank you. And they decided in the summer of 1848, Elizabeth Cady Stanton especially, to call a convention on the rights of women. And they sent out a call. They didn't know if anybody would show up. And on a July day, not only did they show up, but a large number of other women and some men showed up to discuss the rights of women. And the thing that was so dramatic about it is that Elizabeth Cady Stanton literally slipped in <laughs> this most dramatic right, which was the right to vote. And many other people, including Lucretia Mott, thought that that would hold them up to ridicule. And Elizabeth Cady Stanton's husband thought it was so off the wall that he didn't even come to the convention. But that the right to vote was the most controversial. It passed in part with the help of the famous black abolitionist, Frederick Douglass, and he was hugely influential in passing that then. And that became the focus of the, uh, the women's rights campaign. It was the first time that women had publicly demanded the right to vote in a public setting. There had been other meetings, public meetings of women asking for some rights, notably in 1837, a biracial uh, group of anti-slavery women met and for the first time uh, talked about having a voice in the public discourse. But this was the first time that there was the demand for the right to vote. Interesting. And I think that brings us to our next question. It was a winding, crazy road to get to even thinking about the 19th Amendment being written, being passed. But tell us about and illustrate a little bit more. What was the scene that allowed for it to actually happen? Let me, let me start by saying that when it was initially proposed um, in Congress by a friendly, and there were men in Congress who were very friendly towards suffrage, not enough of them in the beginning, but they were there. Uh, but it was initially proposed in, I'm going to go on a limb here, I think it was 1878, I'm pretty sure it was, 
it would have been the 16th Amendment. It took that long to get it passed in 1920 that it already was the 19th Amendment. By the way, the income tax was in there before women suffered. So there's a sense of our, of the, our government's priorities. That year, the, it, it had passed in both houses of Congress and went out for ratification. As you know, ratification, two-thirds of the states, they needed 36 at that time. They needed 36 states to ratify. And there were there was no real deadline, but the the organization behind all this, the suffrage women understood that if they didn't get it passed by August of 1920, it was likely it was never going to pass because there was a presidential election that year. There were all sorts of things going on. The last state that was a possibility was the state of Tennessee. Tennessee, let's remember, was a state in which there was, you know, segregation. And it was a huge controversy over race, whether black women should be allowed to vote, what that would do for the vote. So there was a huge, huge controversy. And what happened is that the focus of both the pro and the anti-suffrage campaigns came together in August of, of 1920, literally in Nashville. And we had a wonderful time because the last day was so dramatic. The last day when the suffrage campaign was up for a vote and there were all kinds of shenanigans, all kinds of corruption, all kinds of drinking in relationship to prohibition. I mean, it was a mess. It was just incredible. But on the last day, the suffrage forces thought they were going to lose by one vote. And the one vote belonged to a very young, a very young new state legislator. The state legislator was named Harry T. Byrne. He was the youngest representative in the uh, Tennessee legislature. And Harry was from a small town, Nyota, uh, a couple of hours away. And Harry had been swayed by the anti-suffragists. Harry was pretty sure he was going to vote against. Turns out Harry hadn't reckoned with his mom. Harry had a really terrific, forceful mom named Feb, F-E-B-B, Byrne. And Feb figured out that Harry was going to vote against suffrage, and she knew it was going to be a tight vote. And so Feb writes him a letter that he gets handed to him the day of the vote as he's walking up the steps to the legislature in Nashville. And he reads it, and it's a very chatty note about, by the way, when you come home, pick up this for me, pick up that for me. But in, embedded in this note are all sorts of things that say, vote for suffrage. By the way, vote for suffrage. Be a good boy. Be a good boy and vote for suffrage. And she says, by the way, could you pick me up, you know, four yards of flannel and some flour and hoorah for suffrage. Don't forget to vote for suffrage. And it was almost subliminal. And sure enough, Harry gets in there and the antis are sure he's on their side and the pros are very, very unhappy. They think they've lost it. And the vote count comes, and when it comes to Harry, he votes aye, and that puts it over the top, and suffrage was won. Oh my gosh, I love that story. It's an incredible story that we, we attribute, and, and Feb Byrne is our new 
hero. So she's actually an amazing woman. In many ways, she was an amazing woman. But in, in this case, she really changed the world. Yeah, the women behind the scenes. You got to shout them out too, you know? All right, guys, quick commercial break. Are you looking to make a statement and make a change as we head into the new year? Check out Social Goods, an online store that offers a curated slate of statement-making merchandise that gives back to nonprofits tackling today's most pressing issues. From the Jed Foundation and Fair Fight Action to Planned Parenthood of Greater New York, She Should Run, and more. Best of all, we partner with Social Goods to offer a special discount for listeners of Girl on the Go the podcast. Go to social-goods.com and use the code GIRLONTHEGO15 at checkout to receive 15% off your purchase. That's social goods where every transaction comes with real action. Who wasn't included in the 19th Amendment and how and when were all women included in this in their right to vote? Well, the largest group of women who were, who were excluded was African-American women in the South. And that's because of the Jim Crow laws, and that's because of what we were talking about before, that the federal amendment was written in such a way that states could get around it. And basically what happened was a lot of states just wrote laws and and set up circumstances that kept mostly African-American women from voting, not all African-American women. Yeah, they were not excluded by the amendment because millions of African-American women in the North voted. So they were not excluded in the amendment, but in the South, where they set up all kinds of barriers for African-American men and women, they were excluded. And also uh, something else to keep in mind on this issue of who could vote and who couldn't. A number of states before 1920 passed their own laws giving women the right to vote. For example, New York State, where I live, 1917, and that was a big watershed year because a lot of other states came after that. 1917, women in New York got the right to vote. Earlier, women in other states got the right to vote. So there were African American. I mean, Ida B. Wells, the famous Ida B. Wells voted, had the right to vote in Illinois before 1920. So African American women were not excluded. There is a a nasty myth going around that the 19th Amendment excluded African-American women from the right to vote. It's not true. On paper, everyone had the right to vote. Many African-American women did vote after 1920 and before 1920. But in certain states, in the South particularly, there were terrible barriers set up. It is also the case that Native American women had to wait until the government gave them full citizenship to vote, and Hispanic women had similar problems. So there were local and federal barriers about many things. But again, the 19th was a start. But it's interesting to note also that there were Southern states that prevented and wanted to prevent all women from voting. So in the year 1920, there were four Southern states that ruled that you had to have been, you had to have had the right to vote for six months before you could exercise that vote and register. And of course, suffrage was only passed three months before. So there were Southern states in which no women had that right to vote. And the fact that we didn't have universal suffrage, that's what we should have had from the get-go. Now you asked, how did we get close to that. And of course, we're still dealing with, you know, voter suppression. But the the Voting Rights Act 
1964-65 was really a huge step forward. And then when it was limited recently by the Supreme Court, it's, it's released all kinds of new voter suppression. Wow. Well, let's talk about this year, 2020, 100 years later, a huge election year. Can you guys talk to what the expectations were first for women this year in this election and kind of what happened? And I don't know if all the numbers have come back yet, but what we've seen with how women and different demographics of women voted this year in 2020. A lot of this is sort of very fuzzy math at the moment because we don't know uh, the exit polls are not reliable because of all of the vote by mail. So we really don't have terrific numbers yet, but we know there was a substantial, substantial gender gap between uh, men and women. And we know that a huge, huge proportion of African-American women uh, voted for Biden. So there, it's said, and we still have to wait to find out that the majority of white women voted for Trump. But I, I don't know if we actually know that yet. And it's not clear if it was a majority or a plurality as it was with Hillary. With Hillary, it was a plurality. And it started out, the number that is thrown around is 55% of white women voted for Hillary in 2016. That number's now down to 47%. So the, as Ellen says, fuzzy math, you got to be really careful. But here's, here's what we do know. We do know that at least anecdotally and certainly there are there are real numbers on this. Women turned out in pretty large numbers, which is exciting. We are more than a majority of the we are we're there are more of us than of them. So so I would hope we all turn out. There are more Democrats than Republicans in the country, so which also accounts for some of that. But here's the lesson that I think both Ellen and I have talked about a lot that we learned from doing the podcast and doing our research, and that is so clear today, which is women are not a monolith. And that the idea of talking about the women's vote is something we have to recalibrate our brains. It's more about education. It's more about geography. It's more about many other things than the double X chromosomes. I mean, religion, there are all sorts of factors that determine why one votes for anybody. And the big lesson from the suffrage history, when you see, certainly in the early days, all the women who were opposed to it, is the same as what we're seeing now. And and there's a lot of talk about white women got a lot of explaining to do because so many white women voted for Trump. And I think it is true, it is obviously the case that not every woman is not every white woman is the same as every other white woman. Let's let's get clear on that. So I think race and gender are things we have to look very carefully at and maybe set them aside for a while and figure out other ways to parse this. Let's remember too, it's it's interesting to think about how women did and didn't vote in 1920 because a lot of them a lot of them didn't vote the idea was that there was a woman's vote there and several and many members of the congress thought that they would pass 
some progressive family-oriented legislation to win the women voters. And when they didn't show up to be different from their husbands, those pieces of legislation went down the drain. So even back then, and it took a lot of women a lot of time, I think 30% of the women voted in the first election. So it took women a long time to actually step up to the polls and a long time to step up for themselves. Yeah, I think it's interesting too, just the the monolith conversation. I feel like that's a lot of the headlines that I've been getting these days is talking about how to figure out what these labels mean and like what goes within them, not just like inside the women's vote, but also especially a lot of conversation about the Hispanic vote. That's not a monolith either. What does that mean? The black vote, again, same thing. And so I think there are all these interesting societal markers that really could present better information for campaigns to use as well in terms of actually getting people elected, but also in terms of getting their own vote out. I really think there, there's some missing marks there um, and the fuzzy math definitely doesn't help that at all. So I personally would be really interested to see what happens with um, the fuzzy math in the few, next few months and what we kind of do with it. But yeah, it's, it's really interesting to, to look at these things at, at scale and then break them down a little bit further, which we are so glad to be able to do with you guys. And frankly, we can't understand why anybody would have voted for Trump. That's the big mystery. 100%. Well, thank you guys. I feel like a lot of people probably didn't even realize that it was the 100 year anniversary. And so I love what you guys have done and making this podcast and sharing the history that we, I think we're all not given throughout our lives still to this day which is crazy but for everyone listening go listen to she votes could i just get in a plug for our partners uh wonder media network you just said that a lot of people didn't realize it was the suffrage centennial when we were pitching our concept and we talked to lots of different podcasting groups most of which were run by men and most of whom said to us what suffrage what what centennial? And our our good friends at Wonder Media said, "Oh my God, suffered centennial! Yes, we have to do this." So, so there's a difference, uh, and there's a reason why we went with them, and they're 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 on top of the situation, which pleases us enormously. So important. Well, again, thank you so much. Where can everyone listen to your guys's podcast? www.shevotespodcast.com. Well, thank you, ladies. It's been amazing. Our pleasure. Thank you, ladies. Nice to be with you. All right, guys. Here are the top three stories you guys need to know this week. And we're going to start it off with literally broken record. Everyone, Joe Biden has won the 2020 presidential election. Wow, shocker. A hundred times. I feel like we've had to say this. So the Electoral College decisively confirmed Joe Biden as the next president, ratifying his November victory. And, you know, Trump has still refused to concede and is still pushing for this voter fraud. Biden's cheated. But the presidential electors on Monday gave Biden a solid majority of 306 electoral votes to Trump's 232, which is actually the same exact margin that Trump won in 2016 against Hillary Clinton that he bragged about being a landslide. (laughs) And so... The president is still involved in legal challenges to the 2020 election. And White House spokeswoman Kaylee McEnany said on Tuesday, when asked how the president responded to the Electoral College voting confirming Joe Biden, Trump has still declined to concede the election to Biden. And that's insane, especially 
because yesterday, Tuesday, Mitch McConnell finally congratulated Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris on their victory. And so that's honestly huge. Mitch McConnell is the Senate Republican leader, and he is kind of the ringleader for the party. So it's a big deal that Mitch McConnell has finally accepted the results of the election and really continue to formalize their wins. But Mitch was among many congressional Republicans who had refused to acknowledge Biden's defeat of President Donald Trump, who has continued to make unfound claims of election fraud and refused to concede. Trump is still trying to get, you know, people to not accept the results for House Republicans to not ratify it. And so Mitch McConnell pressed other Republican senators on Tuesday not to join in with any House Republicans who may object to the presidential election results when Congress meets on January 6th to ratify the decision. I feel like this year is so interesting because we're all just learning. Even if you are very politically active, informed, always voting, you really don't realize the steps it takes to finally get to Inauguration Day. And this year is just really highlighting all those. So it's a good civics lesson, I guess. Despite all the frustration, we can really learn what the process is to finally elect a new president. We've had House Republicans still refusing to concede, saying they're going to try and overturn the election still. So again, technically, like anything can happen. Again, I just want to put that out there because... It's just unprecedented what this president has done, what 2020 has been. But bright side, Mitch McConnell has accepted these results and congratulated Joe Biden. So that's huge. It really puts a stamp on it. And, you know, we have to wait for Inauguration Day. But it's just crazy. There's still people trying to overturn this and thinking that's a possibility. I mean, the White House is still is still trying it. It's it's honestly crazy. It's also crazy how much Mitch McConnell is in the goddamn news. So <laughs> turning to our, our next topic, our next news story of the week here. So some talks have escalated on COVID relief, right? So COVID relief really top of mind for, I would say, almost anyone in the United States of, of America, given the, the scenario going on right now in terms of medical end of things, but also economically really impacting so many people, um, especially as we start to see cases rise, shutdowns increase and whatnot. Conversations about relief have really continued to evolve. So with that, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who is a Democrat, invited Mitch McConnell, you guessed it, who is Senate Majority Leader, and Again, you guessed it, in case you didn't know from the past story, a Republican, as well as Senate Democrat leader uh, Chuck Schumer and the House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy to a meeting on Capitol Hill. So you're like, hey, like what's happening at this meeting? Like this is a little powwow, like let's get, let's get the deets here. So about 90 minutes before this little powwow, good old McConnell told reporters um, and lawmakers that lawmakers would not leave town this year until they have agreed on a fresh package of coronavirus relief, which he said he hoped would be attached to a government funding measure. Leading lawmakers have been hammering out the government spending measure, which is a $1.4 trillion bill for the fiscal year that began on October 1st. So Soros said Tuesday, this task was basically done, but lawmakers from both parties still sought to strike a consensus on coronavirus relief, something they have wrangled over for months, like literally months, 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 and months, like we're over it. However, if leaders can reach an agreement, the coronavirus aid could be attached to a government spending bill or to be passed on Friday to avoid a government shutdown. So fresher last week, a bill was 
pass to prevent a shutdown. So here's another week goes by. These days just, they keep on coming, you know? Year after year, they just keep on coming. So see what comes out of this. I personally am not particularly hopeful, but alas. <laughs> Well, I that I am keeping hope because again, a national parks trip I have planned, and if they shut down the government, I'm coming to Capitol Hill to put them in their place because it's unacceptable. But no, I mean more than anything, it's people are struggling right now, and we can't just get our lawmakers to get together and put their heads together and compromise and work together for the American people who are just in unprecedented devastating times. It's really disappointing. So I hope that they can come together. So we'll see, but we will know in the next couple of days what the next steps are. We will keep everyone updated, but for our third and final story, a hopeful one and an exciting one. So Hospitals in the U.S. began giving the Pfizer shots on Monday. So that was just three days after it won U.S. emergency use authorization. And so the vaccine was welcomed to help contain the virus, obviously, which has killed now over 300,000 people in the U.S. and infected 16.5 million. So can't forget just how deadly it is right now and how our hospitals are struggling and filling up so having this come through was definitely an amazing sign of hope and again just like really made me hopeful for 2021 monday was like a good day there were good vibes in the air best monday ever did you see the did you see the videos in the tiktoks of the ups the fedex trucks like driving in with all the vaccines it was so cute and it had this like heartfelt music in the background <laughs> it was like patriotic all I'm saying is I would be petrified to be one of the drivers though. Like just imagine you're driving. Oh my God, like going over a bump. You're like, no. It was like, it was FedEx driver 61305. Went too fast over the pothole, ruined all of the vaccines. You're like, fuck. There are just reasons that I don't do certain jobs. In more good news related to this vaccine, Moderna's vaccine that is, their vaccine appeared set for regulatory authorization this week after the FDA staff endorsed it as a safe and effective treatment and documents released Tuesday. So we will see what happens there. But the second vaccine, the FDA is considering behind one from Pfizer, which was authorized last week. So we'll we'll see what happens there, but lots of vaccine news. It's exciting. Hopefully expected to be authorized on Friday. So that could be another like happy Monday next week of like some trucks bringing in some more vaccines. We love to see it. Oh, I'll, I'll be scrolling on TikTok now. So I'll be sure to see it bright and early. Yep. Well, also another news regarding COVID and staying hopeful was actually the FDA just authorized a fully at-home test, which is like really exciting. So it's basically like I've taken at-home tests, but you have to send them back to a lab. But this one actually is a fully developed at-home test where you could do it at home and then your, your results are read at home. So like you get the results immediately at home, which is huge because, you know, if you need to like in the future, if we're going to a concert or something and everyone can take a test before they go you can like all be in the same room so I think that will be huge as far as opening up and hopefully our economy getting back to normal so on top of like having vaccines also having these at-home tests will be a really amazing tool to just manage 
and live with this virus and hopefully, you know, one day eradicate it. But at least like the vaccines and these at-home tests, I think are going to be huge too just really manage it and be able to open back up again finally. So again, hopeful for 2021, okay? Sam, you got to stay hopeful. I'm just like, I want to say like more cautious. Like I'm hopeful. Like I I obviously want the best things. I want this to all work out, but. You just don't want to get your hopes up and be let down. I get it. Exactly. I want to keep seeing the news come in, keep seeing the data, looking at some patterns, you know, but give yourself a moment to feel good about this news. Okay. You deserve it. But no, I mean, honestly, these, these three stories I feel like are, are good news. Okay. Like, okay. We have first Joe Biden, like his a hundredth presidential win. Like I think he's won the presidency the most in our entire nation's history. So that's great news. Second great news is like, I mean, it looks like Our legislators in the House and the Senate are trying to work together to avoid a government shutdown and get some coronavirus aid out there. Good news. But, you know, staying cautious, definitely staying extra cautious about that one. (laughs) I don't trust them. So, like, I'm definitely staying more cynical about that one. I'll give you that. Third, vaccines, at-home tests, a new age of being able to function with COVID. Okay. I feel like this is, like, the first time we've ever reported on, like, some relatively, like, good news overall. So good. That was, like, honestly therapy. Yeah. But moving forward, we can't forget to engage once we inform ourselves, right? And we are coming up very close now to the Georgia runoffs. And so we want to continue to push that and push that in everyone's brain to get involved, donate. If you know people in Georgia, make sure they're registered. Make sure they have a voting plan. And again, if you want to donate, we will provide links in this episode description. We'll also provide links of where you can get involved if you want to phone bank or text bank or get involved in any way. Those resources will be in the episode description. Don't forget to follow us on social media, Twitter, Girl on the Gov 1, Instagram, at Girl on the Gov the podcast. Also follow Girl on the Gov. And don't forget, subscribe, rate, review, tell all your friends and family about us, about this podcast, about how much you learn, how much you love it, and how like funny and amazing and like beautiful we are. And like perfect, like perfect. Let's just make sure that's in there. If there's an episode that you freaking love, you're like, oh my God, this is so informative, this is so helpful. And you have a friend or a family member that would be like super into learning about it. But while you're there, like I said, rate, review, subscribe, do all the good stuff. And yeah, share that link and happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah to those who celebrate Hanukkah. And we'll be talking to you guys next Wednesday. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, 
Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.